Dr. Ayers, thank you so much for joining us. I am so excited to dig right into our conversation on implicit bias, as I know you have so much experience and expertise in this area. So I'm going to start off with a great question, I think. In your experience, why is focusing on implicit bias important for healthcare leaders and teams? As it relates to healthcare, we have we have tons of research that shows that uh, organizations which prioritize implicit bias and uh, training, um, diversity, equity, inclusion uh, training, that these, these organizations actually do better than organizations that don't. So their, their bottom line, financially, they outperform organizations that don't prioritize um, training around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and by extension, things like implicit bias. We know that uh, through that research, employees and organizations that do this work and, and do this prioritization, that these employees feel um, better respected, they feel valued, uh, they feel safe, and as a result, they're more engaged and more innovative. Um, and that when we are able to manage diverse teams well, that we have better outcomes. Uh, and in order to do that, leaders have to be able to address implicit bias or, or unconscious bias, as it's also known, um, because of the differences inherent in diverse teams. So uh, it's really important for um, leaders and, and organizations to really understand uh, implicit bias as a way of managing the, the, uh, the diversity that we know um, makes organizations better. Um, and then finally, I would say that another uh, area where um, it's important to address implicit bias is when we're talking uh, for healthcare organizations is when we're talking about um, outcomes and, and patient experience. Can you talk more about the impact impl implicit bias uh, can uh, have on helping our goals such as employee engagement or retention or even quality and patient experience? Absolutely. So when we when we talk about um, things like quality of care and healthcare, what we're talking about is outcomes, right? And we're talking about um, things like mortality, morbidity, uh, patient safety, uh, patient compliance with treatment plans, uh, readmissions, length of stay, which you know for hospitals matters a lot. Um, and these are all things that are very very tangible. Um, as they impact an organization's bottom line. And so, uh, you know, when we are um, looking at these things and examining them critically, uh, we see how closely they are tied to um, uh, concepts like implicit bias, uh, where we have, where employees feel, when they feel valued, when they feel included, when they feel uh, respected and, and seen, um, Likewise with patients, when they feel valued, when they feel respected, and when they feel seen, um, we have a uh, we have a more inclusive environment, right? And uh, patients are more uh, employees are more engaged, employees are happier, patients are happier. So it affects our um, our, our patient experience scores as well. Um, but we have to address those uh, those beliefs. We have to address those attitudes, those practices, those policies um, that create barriers uh, to building that type of inclusive environment for our patients and our employees um, uh, to, to fully participate. Uh, and these barriers often take the form of unconscious or implicit bias. 
Wow. You know, it's always fascinating the parallels between what our patients are seeking and needing and what our employees are seeking and needing. Uh, and so then our role as leaders can become even clearer uh, related to this topic of implicit bias and the impact we can have as we integrate that into our practice. So are you able to share, you know, within your own organization, even some of the best practices that you've seen or experienced, whether it's in training or allyship and or addressing microaggressions? Absolutely. So um, the topic of microaggression in particular, I think, is is, is extremely important. Um, and so, so we want to first make sure we understand what microaggressions are. So these are these are subtle and, and, and usually unconscious uh, forms of bias that are rooted in stereotypes. Um, and because they're rooted in, in bias and stereotypes, these uh, derogatory and, and, and prejudicial uh, actions or statements um, usually are directed towards members of marginalized um, groups. And, and we hear it uh, in statements like, um, well, I don't see color. I'm, I'm colorblind. Um, or statements like, oh, you're overreacting. You're being too sensitive. I'm sure he didn't mean it that way. Uh, and, and these can be really destructive. Uh, and and, and I, I often like to say that microaggressions are only micro for the person uh, committing the microaggression, not the person receiving it, um, because the toll can be really, really high in the form of things like depression, paranoia, where you're not trusting your own thoughts about things. You can't trust, you know, your own perception of reality. Um we see it in increased burnout in the workforce, leading to workforce turnover. Uh, and there's a lot of research that's gone into how, how to combat microaggressions as a result. And some of the, the, the things that I, when I, um, when I, you know, lead discussions on this, one of the things I like to say, the first thing I like to say is first, we really should um, uh, stop and, and listen closely and ask for clarification if you find yourself on the receiving end of a microaggression. So this can be done with statements like, you know, I'm curious, could you tell me a little bit more about what you meant when you said that you don't see color? Uh, and this is easier to do when we assume positive intent, right, uh, uh, from the person uh, who um, committed the microaggression, because it, remember, most of the times people are not even aware that they're doing or saying these things because again, it's, in, it's uh, rooted in unconscious or implicit bias. So you're not even aware of, of, of the fact that you have made this transgression against someone else. And I think for healthcare providers, um, uh, the more that we can make it about the patient and keep the patient at the center of the conversation as a shared goal, mm -hmm. um, the more successful we become in dealing with microaggressions. And you see it in, in uh, when we can use statements like, you know, uh, I know we both care uh, about uh, Mrs. Smith's well-being. So how can we approach this differently, right? Um, and another way that I, I often um, uh, like to coach people on is role modeling the behavior that you want to see, right? And so this can be seen in statements like, you know, I used to say, I used to say myself that um, I was colorblind until a colleague shared with me that she found that offensive because she felt that um, by saying that I was invalidating a huge part of who she was and making her feel unseen. So it actually made me stop and think about what I was actually saying. Um, and then lastly, I'll tell people is uh, don't be afraid to disengage. 
right? Um, when things become too emotional um, or too heated, it's okay to step away, to take a step back and, and, and save that conversation for another day. And you can do things like saying, um, you know, please excuse me. Um, but I'm really uncomfortable with the situation right now. I'm going to take a step back and, and, and I'm going to go speak to one of my colleagues. You know, you can always come back later. You know, if you feel safe, if you feel um, in the, the right space to come back to the conversation, um, either with the person, alone with the person who committed the microaggression, or even bringing a supervisor or a senior with you for support, that's also appropriate as well. Wow, those are some incredible examples. I really could, you know, get my arms wrapped around some of the things you were sharing by those uh, examples that you shared of what we can say, uh, giving us permission to step back during, uh, you know, when we're kind of feeling really emotional. Uh, uh, and so uh, the other thing that I'm hearing is the importance of being mindful, having that self-awareness uh, can really help us really connect uh, to what might be getting in the way of the connection or what might be fostering a better relationship with the teams we support or the patients we care for. So as we kind of come to some conclusion, uh, could you kind of solidify, uh, even reiterate some strategies to overcome some of the pitfalls of implicit bias? Right. Well, I think, Deanna, you, you started to really touch on one of the, the biggest points there, which is the self-awareness, because we see that we see these pitfalls of implicit bias play out when we haven't done the work, either individually or as an organization, uh, and examining uh, our own internal bias, all right, um, and how, uh, how that bias affects how we think and how we interact with others. And also the, um, the responses that are, are, are the way that we interact with people um, elicit from other people. Uh, and again, this lack of awareness actually is where this, it creates this space where in healthcare disparities live and, and, and they flourish. Uh, and we see it in, in the impact that this has on our patients and our colleagues. And so I would say that one strategy then for overcoming these pitfalls is to do the work. There's no way around it. You have to do the work. And for individuals and, and organizations to make the investment in time and resources um, and infrastructure uh, that helps us identify and understand um, uh, our own biases uh, and, and, and create that, that internal um, awareness as well as that social awareness that is necessary to um, to really create that inclusive and and uh, um, uh, engaging environment that we are we really want to look for where we know where the research shows that companies do the best when they are able to to create those types of environments right those inclusive um, uh, environments built on those foundations of of, of diversity uh, and and equity. And so um, I, I, that takes the forms for, for uh, uh, a healthcare organization that would take the form of, say, um, providing training um, and cultural humility 
for for employees, uh, microaggressions. Like we, I, we just touched the surface uh, there with microaggressions. There's a, there's a lot behind um, how to deal with microaggressions if you're on the receiving end, as well as if you are the person who committed the microaggression. Right? How do you how do you handle that situation? So there's a lot of training there that that um, goes in in place. Um, and then also topics of privilege and perspective as well. So the, these are these are the, the sort of the core key concepts that when organizations are um, invested in doing the work, when individuals are invested in doing the work, this is where we see um, the most success uh, and the um, best return on that investment for, uh, from the work. Uh, Dr. Ayers, thank you so much for sharing uh, some of your experience and expertise with us today. I want to give you the final word. Is there any final thing that you were hoping to share that you didn't have the opportunity to share before we close? This is a commitment to to a lifelong process uh, of learning, uh, of, of, of curiosity, um, of understanding that, you know, no one is expert in this and that we all make mistakes. Uh, and therefore, um, we should allow ourselves and each other grace as we go mm. forward in this work. Powerful word, grace. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Healthcare Experience Matters. Healthcare Experience Matters is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation. To learn more, please visit healthcareexperience.org. That's healthcareexperience.org.